no, 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 Everybody, Norm over here, and I have got one of my best buddies and part of the Norm's Rare Guitars family, the great Tim Pierce, one of the most recorded guitar players of all time. He is incredible, and he's going to show you some of his tricks and how he gets stuff done in the studio, and it's always great to talk with Timmy, and I always like to give him a hard time, and he gives me a hard time, but uh, I think you're going to dig it. Please listen, Tim Pierce. play a little louder than that. That's all right, Timmy. Uh, do what you were doing. Hey, everybody, it's Norm from the Norm's Rare Guitars podcast. And as you can see, we're prepared and together just the way we always are, but that's the way we like it. Loose as a goose and a lot of fun, you know, with our, our friends here. This week, I've got the great Tim Pierce. Tim is one of the most recorded guitar players in the world. If he starts turning red, you won't see it on the podcast. But when you go to the All Guitar Network version of it and you see the, uh, the visual of it, you'll see that I embarrass him and he turns red when I talk about all the people he's played with. Very beautiful young man. So the great Tim Pierce. Tim has played, I, I don't, I'm going to have to, I'm going to start naming a few and I'm going to have to ask Tim to do a few. And this is going to be embarrassing for him, but I'm sorry. Uh, but everybody from Michael Jackson to Barbara Streisand to the Goo Goo Dolls to um, uh, Santana, who, who else? Just uh, uh, name. Seal, Rascal Flatts. Uh, I'm doing a record with Edgar Winter right now. Uh you know, you go back to the 90s, and that's when the, the bulk of it really is. You know, people like Whitney Houston and Tina Turner and Joe Cocker. I did, like, four Joe Cocker records. Back wow. in, you know, I used to play with Kenny Loggins. I did, like, five Kenny Loggins records. Uh, but more recent stuff, you know, Kelly Clarkson, Rascal Flatts, like I said. Uh, well, I hope that, you know, with all those, uh, you know, credits, I hope someday you get to play with somebody famous. So. <laughs> I, there's a uh, allmusic.com has uh, uh, a list of over a thousand records I've played on. So, and I think you that. played on this old guitar. That's probably the low point in his career. Well, it needs that needs more recognition. I was very proud of that. It's a fantastic uh, thing. It's a tune that I wrote uh, kind of after Tom Petty passed away, and it was kind of inspired by that. My son Jordan sang it. Timmy played the guitar on it. There was a lot of twelve string on it, and it was really great. And it was, uh, uh, I'm sure. Uh, he did that just out of sympathy no, for me. No, you actually made me produce that song. He, you said to me, you're producing a song for me. You're producing my song. I said, okay. Right. And I, then I put the gun down after he said yes. So it uh, worked out great. real good. So, um, you know, with all the people that you played with, I mean, I want to just ask you about, you know, just some of the stories. You know, what's kind of memorable? When you, when you did like with Michael Jackson, what did you work on with Michael? I'm actually doing a video about that right now because um, – I had done a record called Toy Matinee with Bill Batrell and Patrick Leonard. 
And Pat had produced most of Madonna's hits, like 36 singles or whatever, and co-written them. So he wanted to do this prog rock record, and it was called Toy Matinee. And a lot of people really liked that record. And so Bill went on to work with Michael Jackson on the song Black or White, and they needed a... Uh, Michael had a fantasy about... He was really into Motley Crue at that moment, uh, particularly a song called Dr. Feelgood, I believe. Yeah. And so I had to come up with a kind of heavy metal fantasy part in the bridge of the song Black or White. And I did, and it stuck. They didn't, you know, <laughs> with these songs, there's, they go through so many iterations that you never know if your part's going to get kept or replaced because they keep changing stuff. What was That was a tune with Michael Jack with uh, Paul McCartney, wasn't no, it? No, I'm thinking of... I, Ebony and Ivory. Ebony and Ivory. Black or White. Black or White. Yeah, or white, yeah I'm seeing now. Uh, what can I tell you? Let's see if I can play it. Oh, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Michael was really, really nice. I mean, he's a controversial figure, but the day I worked with him, he was super nice and super uh, polite and soft-spoken. It was, it was a real pleasure. Very cool. Yeah. So, and then, you know, people like Barbara Streisand. I mean... Oh, well, that was recent. I mean, uh, I think that was for John Shank. No, that was for Walter Afanasev. Yeah, John uh -huh. produced some of it and Walter produced some of it. And he came to my, my home studio for that. Um, that, was, that was actually... Just a few months ago. So a lot of the time, you know, when you go in the studio, if you're paying for studio time, um, and especially if you have maybe an orchestra, you know, strings and, you know, you've got a big production thing happening, you can't go in there and just bring in your local buddy and say, well, I hope he gets it right. And like seven hours later, after you've got 25 people standing around that you're paying them all, um, it's not too cost effective. So they go with guys like Tim Pierce. And Tim, you know how to get a sound in the studio. You know how to play the right part for the right tune. And, um, and that's really important because when you're paying all those expenses, you want to make sure you don't go in there and have the thing, all the air come out of the balloon and things fall apart. It's still that way in some parts of the recording business. I was at Capitol on Monday doing theme park music, and it was a stack of charts. And because I don't really read my buddies who make that stuff, they gave me the charts in advance. So I studied for a day and a half and went in. And Chad Wackerman read it, site read it, and his brother Bob site read it. Um, and there are a couple of guys who specialize in that. So when there's sight reading involved, I ask for the music in advance. Luckily, I came up in an era where songs were really, I just played on songs my whole life, really. And, but even in that situation, uh, people, when they hire me, even in my home studio, um, really the first half hour is really crucial. You have to win everything in the first half hour. Every, you know, so what I usually try and do is I try and make the chorus sound amazing so that whoever has come and hired me knows that we got it in the bag and then we can fill around and do the verses in the bridge. But I always try and make the chorus really blossom in the first 20 minutes or half hour so that if it's new people, especially so that they are confident that they came to the right place. Well, that's what sells the tune is the chorus. Yeah. That's the memorable part of yeah. the tune. But that's with that overdubs. And, and, but it's still, there is no, you know, I try and shave off five seconds on every task I do or 10 seconds. So all my mm -hmm. gear is right near me and right around me. And if somebody asks for something, I, I, you pretty much have to give it to them immediately. Well, you know what's That's cool also by having a guy like him, he knows what kind of amp and guitar to choose for the tunes. And, uh, you know, he's a lot of the times you have to be in the right register. I mean, if you're if the tune requires something up in the higher register and you're playing something low, it's going to sound muddy and it's not going to be super musical. So you've got to kind of come in knowing, hearing the stuff and, you know, just playing the right thing kind of right off the bat. It's true. Uh, it's really orchestration. 
And it might be three guitar parts, it might be ten guitar parts. These days, the modern approach is to have less guitar parts, maybe, maybe, maybe even two. Uh, but in any chorus, you know, I might layer a pair of acoustics, I might do something in the middle, you know, um, and then I'll do something up high. So you have frequencies that you stack. And you're right, you don't want to crowd any particular frequency. And it's good to pick up different guitars because if you do use the same guitar in the same amp, things tend to load up. They kind of sit on top of each other. Right. So you want to separate things. So you have like an arsenal of stuff that's, um, yeah. you know, everything from baritone guitars to yeah. regular guitars yeah. and 12 strings and sitars yeah. and yeah. all kinds of guitars stuff. Guitars with like humbucker that. pickups, DRM pickups, single coil pickups, P90s, you know, all kinds of. All the amps, yeah, uh, all Vox the amps, amps yeah. Fender amps, yeah. Marshall, Marshall amps, everything, yeah. you know. So everything's got its own kind of personality and stuff. Yeah. And you have to kind of, in a split second, decide what you're going to use that's going to be right for the tune. You have to interpret people who may not know the language of music and they're asking for something and maybe you strike out the first couple of times. So you have to be willing to put your ego aside and if they want something that, you know, that sounds melancholy, I, who knows what that means to them? You know, you just have to find it for them quickly. Right. And Keep then trying. if they want to yeah. be like, you know, you're walking out in the forest in the exactly. middle of the night, you or got purple, somebody you know? <laughs> who's trying to describe yeah. something to you that's not yeah. musical. Exactly. You got to try to pick up on what they're saying yeah. and kind of be a psychologist, psychiatrist. Yeah. And speaking of psychiatrists, I mean, you almost have to be one to be in my store. There's nobody that comes in that's normal. And, uh, that's true. That's you know, and you know that as well as anybody. You're one of the family over there. And you've one of the weirdos, too. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, but we love the weirdos. You know, the weirdos know. have supported me my whole life. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so like, you know, the guitar that you're playing right now, this is like, a, this is a player-grade broadcaster, but it's a really cool old Fender and single coil pickups. So when you pick up a guitar like that, you play a certain way, right? Well, you know, I might use this for an arpeggio. Because it's not that thick, and it's going to sit in a mix kind of up in there, or maybe a two-note kind of ostinato thing. Uh, ostinato, I, I make words sound really weird sometimes. Something even simple like that, or something maybe up high. Really simple stuff that's more skinny sounding. With a guitar like this, it would be more skinny sounding. Wouldn't necessarily be country, even though you look at this and it, it could be country. But country is classic rock now, so that, that name doesn't even really apply. Well, Telecaster, you could play almost anything. Yeah. I mean, you know, Ted Green was one of the greatest chord yeah. melody guys who played it, and uh, all that yeah, twangy right, stuff, right, you know. Yeah, jazz. Yeah, absolutely. It's that that wasn't jazz, though, because those were the right notes. you got to play the wrong notes if you're going to play jazz. You know, people who study <laughs> jazz, you know, they just avoid the good notes I, I and just jazz. go all the way to the bad notes. Yeah. You know? There you go. There are a couple of those notes yeah. for jazz notes. <laughs> anyway. So with all the sessions that you do, tell us a little bit about, you know, just a few little uh, experiences in the studio that kind of stand out to you that were like uh, memorable. Well, I got to do a Springsteen record and he was super nice. And the thing about, you know, his records, uh, he, he writes four records and they have 40 songs and they have to choose 10 of them. So it's always really hard, but he was super, super nice. Um, uh, the only thing is, at the, at the end of the, the two days I was there, he thanked me and he called me Tom. My name is Tim. Well, yeah, right. Well, Tom Pierce, okay. you know, that's all right. You know, hey, listen, <laughs> Bruce is getting to be my age. So, I mean, you know, yeah. I don't know what I call yeah. myself these days. But yeah. actually, I have a few words for myself. But yeah. 
probably not repeatable right that's now. That's okay. I, mean, I, I don't remember names either. Uh, the Goo Goo Dolls, the first thing I did with, yeah, with Johnny. the Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah, the, you know those guys. They're yeah. your friends. Yeah. It was actually their biggest hit. It was called Iris. And I cool. showed up. I got I got a call. Dean Parks was too tired to play mandolin. So I got a call to go to record one and play mandolin the next day. And I thought, I'm not going to show up there with a little case and a mandolin. And I brought, I had my entire rig delivered there. And I found out later they actually got kind of angry about that because I had all my stuff brought in, you know, amps, you know. You only needed something small with eight strings and you brought the uh, (laughs) whole thing. Because I was kind of like, I'm going to see, you know, if this is a major rock band, I'm going to try and do more than just a mandolin part. And I indeed, I got to do a slide solo that ended up in the middle of the song. And Rob Cavallo was the producer. I ended up working for him for like 15 years, solid after Yeah, you that. do so a lot of stuff with Rob. I right? do, yeah, I do. Um, Good guy. Just did a, a really great record for a guy named Tuck. Who, uh, that's a super Not great... Tuck and Patty, no, not those no. guys. I remember those guys from back in the day. So that that was something that, that you know, I found out that they got angry that I brought in all my gear. Really? But it served me well because I got to play a rock lead solo in the middle of their their biggest song yeah you just never know when uh the opportunity arises uh you know speaking of springsteen what's kind of one thing that's kind of interesting i've sold them some guitars years ago and one guitar i sold them was this really cool uh gibson j200 from around 1962 and what was really unusual about it was in factory red and I had never seen Bruce play that guitar. I see him playing Takaminis and all kinds of stuff live. And I was kind of going, God, I sold you. And I sold him that. And I sold him a Triple O 28 Herringbone Martin. And I was kind of going, man, what did he do with those? Did he realize what he got? Because they were so good. And just recently, a buddy of mine called me and said, hey, you know, did you check out the new Springsteen video? It's called Western Stars. And Bruce was using that J200. So I never knew if he still had it, if he That's gave great. it away to somebody. Wow. It's such a cool guitar, and it's so yeah. distinctive looking. Yeah. And it really fits this video. Terrific. It's really, it's his new single, and people are really digging it. And uh, I'm glad that he actually realized what he had gotten. You know, it was a spectacular guitar that was ultra, ultra rare. I, I did one Tom Petty record. I used to do a very special Christmas. Remember every Christmas there was a record that came out oh, called yeah. A Very Special Christmas? I used to do those. And they did a, a – Tom Petty did a Christmas song, Phil Spector style with Jimmy Iovine. Like 40 musicians there. And I brought my rack. It was the era where I had the big stereo rack with all the stuff oh, in yeah. it. And as the session wore on, Mike Campbell, who was co-producing, got more and more mad at me. People get mad at me a lot <laughs> because he didn't like the I'm sound of my rack. <laughs> at a certain point, he walked out into the studio. He took the cable out of my rack and plugged it straight into the amp and said, there's your sound. <laughs> and did it work out? That was right, yeah, yeah. There you go. I think after that, I stopped using the rack pretty much. And I, I, I don't even own one anymore. Kind of sounds good going a guitar right into an amp, you know, without all the stuff in between. You know, one thing that always got me is that, you know, you hear all these guys with these angry bumblebee sounds, you know, these distorted things. And, you know, and distortions really could good in the right spot in the right tune. Um, But, you know, some people, that's all they do is just that overdriven thing. And it just sounds like an angry bumblebee to me. Guitar is such a wonderful sounding instrument that, you know, when you disguise it that way, uh, you know, when you bring it out, like it's like an electric sitar. If you played it all night, people would be running for the door. But if you bring it out at the right moment, it's very tasteful and very, very cool. Yeah. Distortion on the guitar really does have a limit. And Sometimes you you always want more of anything good, so you spend years trying to get more sustain, more distortion, and then you realize it really is just the amp cranked up to the sweet spot, 
and then maybe a natural sounding pedal in front of it. And that's the best, you know, yeah, the natural distortion. You can is still hear really everything, great. you know, the harmonics, the note, the character of it. But, you know, there was an era where everybody tried to push it as far as they could. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> they were trying to get that sound at a lower volume yeah. and it was artificial. Yeah. And yeah. in the mix, you know, it's sort of like, I mean, I grew up, I used to play B3 a little bit. And, uh, you know, a lot of these synthesizers have kind of a B3 sound. And if you kind of get it just in the right part of the mix and it's not super featured, it can actually sound pretty much like a B3. But if you highlight it on its own, anybody who kind of knows the sound will pick it out and know that like the guitar sound, if it's like some pedal, that it's some pedal. Sometimes when I layer sounds, I'll go back and replay the most distorted ones because I realize, oh, that's too distorted. It always sounds better. Cleaner always sounds better. Maybe that's, you know, an age thing, but to me, cleaner. I yeah, like I'm the beginning sweet to spot. like that. I just like where it begins to distort, right. compress a little bit. I think everybody does. And I, I like some of like the muted parts, even like staccato. And yeah. one thing in music yeah. that I think is highly underrated is a rest. I mean, you know, I like yeah. music that, you know, is a little bit less than more, you know. So, because um, yeah. for years, everything was more. It was like yeah. throw the kitchen sink at them and, you know, show them what you can do. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, knowing that the player is capable of doing more, but not necessarily because for the tune, it's not appropriate. Yeah, I did, um, I think, three Rod Stewart records. And the first one I did was with Trevor Horn. I ended up working with Trevor for a long time, too. And he had this quote where it's the best version of the simplest part. Yeah. And I think you're a fan of that. I am. Yeah. I am. I yeah. like uh, simplicity. I always love Curtis Mayfield. Yeah. Because yeah. can you do a little of that kind of stuff for me? Yeah, that's that beautiful. Kind of yeah, you know, yeah. so you always yeah. wanted him to do more, but he yeah. didn't, which yeah. was the tasty thing yeah. to do. But, you know, now I want people to play less, and they generally don't. They well, generally that's because you more. love songs, and I do too. My love of music comes from 60s Top 40 radio, and yours is probably similar, maybe. Very similar. R&B too, you know, yeah. for you. But we love songs, and guitar functions in, you know, it's in this simple way in songs. Could be like you know, percussion or something. Right. And, uh, you know, I have some friends who are going to do uh, another video and uh, a podcast in a little while. Um, my buddy Freebo and the beautiful Alice Howe. Yeah, they're and, all about songs. Yeah, they I've are all about songs. Your, their stuff channel. is yeah. so yeah. tasteful and they yeah. just play the right stuff. Exactly. And that's what I dig. You know, I mean, you know, again, maybe it's my age, but I want to hear the Beatles. The thing that was so cool about the Beatles is those tunes are so memorable and you can hum them and, you know, you you want to be able to tell what the tune was after one or two listens, you know, kind of be able to, oh, that yeah. was yeah. this or that, you know. So, and uh, it was a study in simplicity. Yeah. Well, you also champion the virtuoso too. So, you know, but I think, I think your favorite thing is to hear a beautiful song and a, a yeah. guitar part that functions. In right. Song. I mean, yeah. it's great that guys can play the stuff. And in certain instances, it really works to play the busier stuff. And as, as long as it's tune appropriate. So, um, you know, I mean, Freebo always leaves a lot of space with his bass playing, and I like that. You know, I mean, holes are... Well, that's because terrific. he worked with major artists mm -hmm. his whole career, and that's what you learn. You right. learn to, to be part of the song and orchestrate a part that serves the song. <laughs> 
Absolutely. So just, uh, you know, just a few like little anecdotes, little things that you remember of some of the sessions could be something funny or whatever that, you know, for many of the sessions or anything that you've done where, you know, that was kind of whacked out, you know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I had this, I've had a couple of disasters. <laughs> well, who hasn't? Yeah, thank you. I did the Tonight Show with Aaron Neville and I, I left my um, acoustic guitar plugged in and the battery died. And uh -oh. so the sound check went great, and I left the guitar plugged in, and it came for showtime, and they run that thing like a tight ship. We got on stage to play. No guitar. No guitar. And I had this moment. It was like being in a dream. The Tonight Show band was playing. You know, they, they play in the breaks, right? Well, right. that break, it seemed like it lasted about 20 minutes. <laughs> and Aaron Neville looked at me like, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, I really? Yeah. Aaron's kind of a yeah. pretty scary guy. Sweet yeah. guy. So Vicki yeah. Randall went in the, into the into her dressing room and got me a Parker Fly, which has a, a piezo in it, put it in my hands, and I, I played it, and it, it got the job done, the acoustic job done. Very and then cool. I, I also used to do records with Corey Hart from the 80s. Remember Sunglasses uh, I remember, at Night? Yeah, I remember Corey. So yeah. one time, he flew me to New York to do one gig, a 45-minute show, Stayed across the street from the venue, which was the World's Fairgrounds. Right. And there were vans going to the gig all day long. You can imagine, you know. And I'm thinking, sure. I should hop on one of those vans, you know, and get, get there early. But no, they had a, 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 an actual car for me at a spe specified time. And the guy who drove the car had just moved to America from East India. And he basically got lost. And because I waited till the last minute, I missed the gig. Uh-oh. Well, the cell phone was dead. Uh, I mean, I couldn't reach anybody. And, and you know, you paid for Tim Pierce and, you know, he's at the airport or something on his way to yeah. Honolulu or something. But I've had, I've had so many great sessions where I've been in the room with people that I admired. I, I got to do several Glenn Campbell records before he died and I got to do the Grammys with him. Before Glenn was a great guitar player. Yeah, a great guitar player. That was a dream because my favorite song. In the world is Wichita Lineman. That's my favorite record. What a great tune. And that baritone guitar part yeah. on that is spectacular. And it, and odd stuff like that. Like, I was a big Three Dog Night fan when I was a little kid. Yep. And Chuck Negron has come to my house and done his songs, you know. And I, if you'd have told me that when I was little. So they're like strange ones, you know. Yeah. And I, I Neil Diamond was the first concert I saw. And I've done, uh, like... His last three records, you know, with Don was. I yeah. I Don was a lot. I know Don, too. Don's a good guy. These days I work with Larry Klein a lot. And uh -huh. uh, he's he's just so, such a beautiful producer and music, musician, such a smart guy. Got something coming up with him in September. Were you ever, like, solid. so in awe of the artist that you could barely function or anything like that? Um I'm trying to think. When you go in, you try and, and go in as an equal. That's, you know, it's funny. It's, none of us have pictures of our sessions because when you went in the studio with these people, you didn't want to grab a piece of their soul and you didn't want to seem like you were anything but an equal. So you never took pictures. And even even with the advent of the cell phone when it came along, you would kind of not do that because it was like you were, you were taking advantage of the actual kind of, kind of artist. So I don't really have any pictures, but it's – I was probably – probably happened to me thousands of times that uh so you're probably better off just shutting up and looking stupid than opening your mouth and proving that you're stupid and, you know, and the, yeah, silence can make you seem so much smarter <laughs> there you go yeah it's, it's, it's what's really not said thing, what's yeah. left out 
So that's pretty cool. We're going to take a little break and we're going to come back in a minute and talk to Tim some more. Um, You know, it's fascinating because he's played on so many great records and I love talking to Tim and Tim's a buddy and he hangs around at the store all the time. So we want to take a little commercial break just for one sec. We're going to come back. I hope you stick with us. Thank you for watching the, listening to the Norm's Red Guitars podcast and watching it on the All Guitar Network. Um, It's something that's very dear to me and I love it. And Tim's been a integral part of the all guitar network yeah, thank so you. thank you for everything that you do for us and thank you for he Likewise. lives four blocks from the store so it's great that uh we can kind of call him at the last minute and say hey it tim what are you doing yeah i don't know well, what I'm are coming you doing? down here yeah. yeah come on over here man <laughs> so anyhow we'll be back in just a minute with more tim pierce That's why you ask for Tim Pierce when you go in the studio. You know you're going to get something tasteful and really cool. That's nice. Keep doing that, man. I like that. This is my new tune right here. We're just uh, just hasn't been written yet. So. We're back with Tim Pierce, and we're talking about, you know, uh, studio guitar players. And there's a few guys that, you know, we really love around town here. You mentioned before Dean Parks. Dean is, like, one of the great guys played on so many of the Steely Dan records. Mm -hmm. He's another one who's played with Barbara Streisand, Andrea Bocelli. Um, Well, I had him on my YouTube channel, and it took me about a year to get him and because I I wanted him to play. He is the acoustic guitar on Eric Clapton's Change the World. That's Dean. and. You he, he brought the guitar that he used on the session, and he played the actual part, and it's it's him. You know, it's all him. It's oh yeah, that's a that's a great one. You know, you know, it's a cool thing here in L.A. that a lot of people aren't really aware of uh, the write off room. You oh know yeah, about that? yeah, and he's there every week, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, he's not there every week, but almost every week. Gotcha. Last week he was away and George Deering was in to fill in for him, who's another uh, story to another one of the guys who is a go-to guy. Who's yeah, he's, the, so he's, much the, stuff. he's arguably the top studio guitar player on the West Coast and has been for a number of years uh-huh. because he's in every movie. He's the first call for every movie. Now it's Andrew Sinewick who is actually coming up underneath him as... Yep. as the, There's always a new regime coming up. I mean, it used to be Tommy Tedesco who was right. like yeah, uh, was the, the guy. guy. Yeah. And he was like, he could put any kind of you know, sheet music in front of him and he could read anything and just, yeah. you know, here, let me look at that. Okay, one, two, three, yeah. and go right into it. And, you it's know, very, just play very it like high he set was, of skills. Yeah, yeah it, it really is. Very so, few guitar players can do... Be that versatile and that graceful under pressure. Yeah. I mean, you have tremendous ears, but if you were a young guitar player coming up and you could play real well, it might behoove you to kind of study music and maybe learn to read and learn to do some of this stuff because the competition just gets tougher and tougher. Yeah. And, and studio work for the most part has changed. If you're in Nashville, you're playing on songs a lot. But out here, there's less uh, song work on for studio musicians, musicians because if you're a star like... I've got a friend who plays with Charlie Puth, who's like a new, you know, you know, pop star. Yeah. And he's not necessarily a studio musician. Um, Jan Osveren is his name, but he's Charlie's guitar player, so he gets the calls and he plays great. So most artists these days have 
some people around them that they can check, just text or call to come play guitar. They don't hire a studio specialist as much anymore. So in LA, if you want to be a studio guitar player, it's all about versatility and going to school and sight reading, which is not really where I came from. Luckily, I came up when I could just show up and play stuff on songs and make up my own parts. You're fortunate to have the kind of ear that you can get away with that, but uh, it doesn't work that way for everybody. And, uh, you know, I I don't know if you guys have seen The Wrecking Crew. I have. And The Wrecking Crew is like such a wonderful movie, and it's about all these guys who were the first call guys. And they would play on everything from Nancy Sinatra to the Beach Boys to, uh, you know – Anything that you could think of, they played on probably 70, 80% of the records that you heard on the radio was the same backup band with the singers, you know, it could well, be they, the moms yeah, and they, papas. They, they or, were that animal. They were basically really highly educated, great players who had great feel, who could play jazz like crazy, most of them. And they could just show up, look at the chart, play the chart, but also play something different or play something new. The chart plus whatever great ideas they could right. offer. So they actually, that's kind of the way it is now in the studio. And then after their particular era kind of ended, it, it it got more open and there were all kinds of characters that could go into the studio and play songs. But they were, they were that animal. They were highly educated. Yep. And, uh, you know, speaking to Glenn Campbell, we were talking to him before. Um, he was actually a part of the Wrecking Crew, not the... Uh, you know, everyday guy, but he was a part of it. And uh, I remember when I first came to LA, um, I went to see the Glenn Campbell TV show. Um, I came out with my band with this guy, Bobby Caldwell. Oh, yeah, and Bobby, actually, Bobby, yeah. Little Richard was playing, uh-huh. who was his brother, was yeah. our manager. And he was playing on the show. And we got to go backstage with Glenn and Jerry Reed. Do you remember oh, Jerry yeah. Reed? Right. Yeah, what a monster yeah. player yeah. that yeah. guy was. Monster. And to hear those yeah. two guys, I yeah. mean, it was like I thought I died and went to heaven. And yeah. I'm not really a country guy, but I like anything that's really good. Yeah. And those guys were just burning. Yeah, it was, it was like really Les cool. Paul. They could just, it was a toy in their hands. They just, yep. all, they just play anything. It was like nothing, you know, those guys. It was great. So if you had to go with who were the most influential people that in your career that kind of inspired you the most? Well, luckily, I was born in 58, so I was 12 in 1970, so I was there when Hendrix, you know, burst out. For me, it was Clapton, Billy Gibbons, B.B. King, uh, Johnny Winter, Uh and Jimi Hendrix. Uh, And then I fell in love with guitar on all kinds of records. I fell in love with with Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. I fell in love with just the way the guitar functioned in song. We just did a show uh, about two weeks ago with David Crosby and with Al Jardine from the Beach Boys, Alice Howe and Freebo, who killed it, you know, giving these guys a plug here. But, you know, they're our local family. Um, Jesse Colin Young. I mean, you know, Lawrence Juber played Albert oh, yeah. Lee, the great Albert yeah. Lee. You know, I mean, yeah. it was really a great show. It sure was. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's like, you know, any of these guys, you know, everybody's got something to say. And the thing about music, you know, which was really cool about this show is, you look in the audience and you could have anybody from any side of the political spectrum that if I started talking for a few minutes and I won't talk political stuff because I don't want to piss anybody off, but everybody was smiling and having a good time because it's music and it's love and everybody just was having a great time because music is so cool and it means so much to so many people in their lives. And, uh, you know, you could just see everybody was having a good time. And uh, there were a lot of people, I'm sure, if they started talking politics or other stuff that they wouldn't be agreeing. 
in and there could have been a mass fight in the audience, but because people were playing music, everybody loved it and everybody was super cool. And as a musician, you can spend a day with somebody working and you kind of have a bond for life. That's right. And if you go on the road with somebody, that bond even gets bigger, even though if it's like for two or three months or whatever. Especially if you're on a tour bus with them, you get to really know them. (laughs) Yeah. So music really, it's a deeper level of understanding for people. Yeah. It connects people. Yeah. Well, I got to thank my buddy, Tim Pierce. Tim, I love you. You're a family here. And, uh, you know, and I love all you guys for listening to this. Um, you know, you put up with our nonsense and my stale sense of humor. My daughter always says, would you go and say that for dad? And my wife says, very good. You know, so I mean, no matter what I do, I come home and I'm kind of, you know, thrown back into the uh, rank of corporal or private, you know, so I, I, you know, I go into my store and I'm kind of the, you know, the general, but when I walk out of the store, man, it doesn't take long to, Come on, it's up that way know, for all of us. Hey, did you take out the trash? Did <laughs> yeah. you feed the dogs? How about going to walk the dogs? You know, man, that's the way it is for everybody. You know, it's like, I'm a dog lover and, uh, you know, uh, what can I tell you? So, um, I'm humbled. And I'm humbled by all my buddies and friends that come in and do this. And thank you, Timmy. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast and watching our stuff at All Guitar Network, which is free, by the way. And there's so much great stuff on the All Guitar Network. I'm so proud of it. You have, like, how many shows on the All Guitar Network? Too many to count at this point. We're going to do more, too. Absolutely. And by the way, let me just say one thing. Tim isn't one of these kind of players who is, you know, doesn't try to share what he knows. Um, you do your, um, you you have a, a thing, your lesson, yeah, thing, your master yeah, class yeah. and all that. And you're willing to show a lot of people what you know. And I'm, I've seen a lot of people who, if they see somebody looking at their hands doing something, they kind of turn the other way because they don't want, want to let their secrets out. You're happy to share that with people. Well, yeah. And I, I have my friend, Andrew Sinewick, I, I heard him actually copy me and he kind of did it better than me. And Andrew's an <laughs> upcoming guitar player. You'll hear more about him, but... You're right. Ten years ago, I decided that I wanted to try and shift over to – I saw some people who were doing big online, you know, sites where they were actually, you know, teaching people online. And so I don't do it in person, but I create video content that people can, you know, access with a membership. I sell a membership and I have five employees and it's it's become my kind of new business and it's it's allowed me to – to do sessions with people that I love and not take every session. I used and to take have to every go session. On, on the road all And not go on the road, too. Yeah. There was a period uh, until two years ago, I spent 12 years without a single vacation because I always wanted to be there by the... the well, you if know, you're not the there, government. they're going to yeah. call the next guy. And if they like yeah. him, you'll never get the call again. Yeah. So. Now I let it go. I actually want him to use the other guy so that you and I can go have lunch. There you go. Well, it's always fun having my buddy Tim yeah. down here. And, uh, you know, the cool thing is that all these young kids, they have a great place to start now because of people like Tim where they can learn. Um, you know, when I was a kid, you had to go to the library, you had to do this to try to find certain things. And now it's all right there for you, right under your thumb at your computer. Yeah, and my master class, I have over a thousand videos, over a hundred hours of lessons and content on my master class. So. Well, and it's really great. Yeah. And uh, I can almost understand it. I just can't do it, but I can understand most of it. And uh, it's really, it's pretty uh, simple. I'm I'm grateful for you for simplifying it and making it accessible to everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Tim Pierce at the All Guitar Network and the uh, Norm's Rare Guitars podcast. Timmy, can you take us out with something a little bit different than what you were doing just to kind of show your versatility?
great Tim Pierce. Thank you. Hey, everybody, thank you for listening. Please give us a good rating or else. Uh, you can catch us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much.